Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. The sixth habit that we're going to talk about today is becoming a generous person. Radically generous. Pervasively generous. When you know Christ... He changes the way that you think about your stuff. And sharing becomes a habit. Here is maybe the core of what I want to talk to you about today. Maybe one of the most pivotal verses, not just in the way that you see money and time, but the way you see yourself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it reads this way. He says, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, you, by his poverty, might become rich. What a crazy verse. He says, look in the first part, he was rich. Jesus had abundance. He was always flowing with forgiveness. He was always flowing with kindness. He was always flowing with care for the broken and the hurting. He was always able, even when we we knew him as someone not with much in finances, but he was always well-fed. In fact, he was able to feed other people. He was rich, but he became poor. The Bible says that they stripped him of his clothes and they nailed him to a cross. They destroyed his reputation. They, They began to barter who would get his certain garments, and he became poor, the Bible says, but that we might become rich so that we would have abundance, so that we would be people who could share and give and care, so that we could be people of abundance, people of generosity, people who share, people who give that we might become rich. Stephen Covey, in uh, his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he talks about this idea of a scarcity mentality, an abundance mentality. He he talks about it like this, like right now, while I'm talking, no one, for the most part, is concerned that we're gonna run out of oxygen in here. We're all just breathing. We're all just taking it up, it's all good. No one's fighting over oxygen. But if, you know, uh, you know, we went to Cancun, praise God, amazing time. Imagine if we went scuba diving in Cancun and say my wife and I, we went down there and we both, while scuba diving, had some air, you know, those air tanks and those apparatuses. And imagine there was a malfunction with my air, now, I would look at my wife and be like, yo, come up off that oxygen. (laughs) Right? And I'm like, share. Share with me what you have. And now oxygen is a commodity and all I'm thinking about is I don't have enough. And the person with the scarcity mentality is always concerned that they won't have enough. But a person with an abundance mentality always thinks there's a possibility for more. 
The person with the scarcity mentality walks in insecurity. The person with an abundance mentality walks with assurance and confidence. Are you generous? Are you a generous person? I'm I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about pervasively, altogether. You can be generous with money, but you can be impoverished with your time. You can be be, uh, greedy with your time. You can be greedy emotionally. You only want people to listen to you, but you can still give money. Or you can do those things and not give money, you see. And the idea that God has made us to have abundance is not that we have everything. It's not that we have something. It's that he has it all. And we know my father's got it. I know he'll give it to me. It's my daddy. (laughs) You ever um, go out to eat with someone who's got more money than you? You ever go go out to eat with somebody? You know what I'm talking about? Like you know they got this. Right, you go out, while you're out, there comes that moment, right? Y'all sit down, and the person who's got money, they go, hey, uh, I got this, I'll take care of it, right? And you go, man. But you know what we do? We start to check and see what they order. You know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only one that does this? Okay, I was about, I didn't feel that. But uh, you know, you start checking to see like, cause if they only order salad, you're like, dag, I don't. But if they start ordering like filet mignon, you're like, oh, okay, waitress, come on back. <laughs> you for real, he's for real. Like I can order anything. Right, you start seeing, you know, all that you can, all that you can get, all that you have. And you start, you start doing things not based upon what you have, but what they're offering to you. You know they have it all, they've got you. A person with abundance actually believes Christ is offering everything. But a person that has scarcity is sitting at the table knowing they've been offered all, only ordering an appetizer. (laughs) They're like, oh, just, they know God offers them all that they could want. All the patience you could ever have. All the kindness you could ever have. All the resources that you need. And yet, They live in a life of believing there'll never be enough. They hoard. See, a a person of scarcity, they don't share power. They don't share credit. They don't share wealth. But a person of abundance, even when they don't have money, a lot of it, they share anyway. Even when their time is limited, they share anyway. And an abundance mentality is there because they fundamentally believe God's got us. God's got us taken care of. And it's so freeing. It's so freeing. Knowing that money and time doesn't define you, but that God's sovereignty does, God's got got it taken care of. And that's the way that I, I, I believe that I'm trying to grow as a believer. If God wants me to have it, it's mine. And I live with that freedom. And so much freedom that I can offer what I have to others. And my prayer, and the habit that we are cultivating in you, is you are a person of abundance, generosity, radical generosity. There are three ways that we're gonna talk about today 
that we should become people of abundance. You often hear about time, talent, and treasure. And so we're gonna talk about those in a particular order. I'll talk about treasure there in the middle. But first, I wanna talk about talent. Knowing that God has given you an abundance of talent. Look here in the scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 and on, the scripture says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. If we were all single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. <laughs> so what Paul is giving an analogy, because the people in the Corinthian church were insecure about the gifts that God had given them versus the gifts that God had given somebody else. The imagery of an eye is there because everybody remembers your eyes. You look into eyes, eyes get more attention. Hands, if you talk with your hands, you see the hands more. But he says, ears, we have to have a sense of hearing. Nose, we've gotta have a sense of smell. And he says, if we only look at those things that get attention, then we will lose key parts of how we function as a body. And what Paul was saying there is that there is no part of how God has arranged the body that is insignificant. In the same way, what he says is there is no one in his economy that is so, so uh, unskilled that makes them unuseful. But he says that God has given you an abundance of gifting and an abundance of talent, but that doesn't mean that you'll always be noticed. It doesn't mean that you'll always be liked or get likes or in Instagram, you'll get hearts. It doesn't mean people will always see you and this issue is what he is directly attacking. People were insecure because they were unnoticed. And I want you to know, God has given you more than enough talent. God has given you more than enough gifting. God has given you more than enough skill to be useful for him. God has shaped you and made you with an abundance of skill and an abundance of talent. The Bible is telling us that the only problem is how we evaluate being useful. <laughs> Hardest people for me to work with are people that constantly need attention. Right now, if we're using the analogy here, I am an eye, everybody looking at me. But it gets really tough when me as the pastor 
when I have one of my leaders and they challenge me. They challenge what I'm thinking and they, they, they kind of, you know, they ask me to help them with something and we have to talk through something. And in that moment, I've got to allow myself to decrease and I've got to hear their perspective. I've got to hear where they're coming from. And the way that this analogy is working is that it's saying basically that there are certain moments that I am an eye gaining all the attention, but there are certain moments I may be a toe, I may be a hand, but I am not as significant in the moment. In other words, I have to die to self in order to be able to cooperate in community. I don't always gotta be an I. It's not always about me. It's not always about my attention. The focus has not always got to be on me. I should be able to, early on in my, my walk, I was, uh, I was over the children's ministry, if you can only imagine that. <laughs> and uh, I was at this church in Maryland, and I was over, you know, I had these puppets, and I made the voices like, hi, I, it's David and Goliath, and uh, we had all this, you know, and I'm making all these different wars and whatnot. And I will be honest with you, I so badly wanted, I was 23, I so badly wanted to be up front. And I never heard the sermon. I would be, I would be in the back with my puppets. And I remember thinking, man, like I so believe that God has made me for the stage. I believe I have a gifting and ability to do that. And, and this, is, this is why this scripture is so important. The gifting I had, what God was doing was he was making sure that I would not be defined by my gifts, but be defined as a servant. And that is one of our key problems. The reason why we don't have an abundance mentality when it comes to serving is oftentimes is because we believe that we've got to be in the right position or we've got to, like, we've got to have everything working right in order for us to serve greatly. And I believe we serve greatly by doing whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get a Sunday done or whatever it takes to get city groups done or whatever it takes to help out in relationship. But you, you do whatever it takes for, to move the community forward. You know, New York is a hard place to feel like you're gifted, praise God. There's some good, there's some talented people in New York. My gosh. I mean, you just meet people on the train. And they're just so talented. But they're not noticed. New York probably has the greatest collection of unnoticed talented people. But being noticed and being talented is not what God has made you for only. God has made you and he watches you and he has gifted you so that you might make a mark on this world. And no one can do what you do when you do it. Ain't nobody can preach like me. I'm not the best, I'm not the worst, but I'm not nobody else. I'm the best me that there will ever be. There will never be a James T. Roberson III again, ever. I am, God has given me skills, he's given me a background, he's given me certain things I do, and I, I can't do it like oh, old boy over there, and I can't do it like old boy over there, but when you put me in my pocket, I'm the best at what I do. Nobody can step to me in what I do. 
God has made me to do what I do. And so when I step up to doing whatever I do, I walk in the confidence of not your yeses and not your amens, but I have been made to give God glory, period. Period. And I've got more than enough for this church or wherever, if God sends me to Russia, I've got enough. I've got enough for any moment, any situation, I have got enough. And you have enough. You've got enough for New York City. You've got enough for wherever you're working. You've got enough because he has not made you out of poverty. Ooh, you've been made rich. You have been made rich. You have an abundance. In fact, you've got more than enough. You have more than enough for your current situation. You've got more than enough for everything you are part of because he has gifted you and made you. That does not mean you won't struggle. That does not mean it won't be hard. It does not mean you don't need to figure it out. But what I'm telling you right now, it may take time, but fruit will come from whatever you're dealing with right now. You need to be patient, you need to grow, you need to hone your craft, you need to pray, you need to cry, you need to sweat, you need to do all that. But what I'm telling you is, God is going to give you a platform for what he has made you for, and the greatest eyes that will be on you is his. Oh, you've got more than enough. And I don't care what your mama told you. I don't care what your daddy told you. I don't care when you went into that show and that director told you weren't good enough or whatever. It doesn't matter what they say. It matters what God says. And if you want to quit, you quit when God says stop. And you keep going till God says stop. You've got more than enough. More than enough. And you cry till you just believe. Believe. Trust. My wife, um, she, she would hate to admit this, and this is true, but her wedding ring is, is not popping. You know what I'm saying? I want her wedding to be, ring to be like popping. You know what I'm saying? I want her to have one of those where she's just like, oh my gosh, my heart hurts. You know what I'm saying? I want her to have one of those rings. She ain't got that. It's because I gave her the gift. And because when I give gifts, they're, they're okay. I was broke too, boy. I was 20, 26. Real broke. And we're still kind of in that state. That's why she got the same ring. God does not give gifts like I give gifts. He gives great gifts. Do you think God gave you a gift that's cheap? The more, I, I, cannot, I cannot spend enough time in this. The more you compare yourself with other people, you will cheapen the gift that God has given you. The more you spend sliding your thumb down on that phone, on whatever app it is, and you compare your life, your looks, your soul to whoever it is, you cheapen the gift that God has given you. He has not given you a cheap gift. 
He has given you a great gift. He has given you a great gift. And your gift is not based on the attention of men. You got more than enough. You got more than enough gifting. What? What? Shoot. You're awesome. You got it. I will lean on this one more time. You know, they, they, they knock millennials. I love millennials. <laughs> I love millennials. Thank you. I feel the love. They talk about oftentimes that one of the challenges millennials have is that they grew up with the belief that everyone is special. They talk about in sports how a lot of millennials got participation trophies, meaning you were rewarded just for showing up. Now, I don't buy into that mentality that millennials have that belief, but I do think that one of the great challenges for people that are 18 to 35 is that sometimes we can believe that we were, because we were so built up all those years growing up to believe that we were special and great, that we start to walk into small wage jobs with an entitled spirit. And we don't realize that though you have been greatly gifted, you will have to work hard. And it's not gonna be given to you, no matter what people told you. Now I love you, so I wanna tell you this. You are, you are special because God has made you special. But no matter how special and how gifted you are, I believe your truest character, the greatness of your character will be in how you operate behind the scenes, not when everyone is coming to you. Who are you when no one is around? That will be your greatness. Who are you when you are clocking in and you gotta get people coffee or no one is noticing? Who are you then when your gifting is on display and you're a toe and you're not the eye? Who are you then when you, when you pour everything into what you feel like is insignificant? Who are you then? Men and women of great character perform greatly when they th- even when they think a role is insignificant. That is great character. God's given you more than enough gifting. Well, the other thing um, I believe we have an abundance of, the Bible actually talks about a treasure, and this treasure the scriptures talk about is our wealth. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says it this way, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Obviously, this is speaking to a farmer and he's saying that there was this imagery. Now, the first fruits is this idea that comes out of Leviticus and it was actually the crops that someone would have and it would be utilized for an offering up to the Lord. But the imagery or the idea of first fruits is actually this concept of prioritizing your wealth where God gets honored first, where God is given to first. And so this is this idea of 
prioritization. God first. And so when you look at your money, honoring God is more so a picture of saying to God, this comes from you. And I want to steward my resources in a way where I give back to you the best of my crops. I want to give you the best of my money. Because the scripture doesn't say honor the Lord with your wealth, with your leftovers. And so it is, very, it is, very, it is, it is the exact opposite of what we have the natural proclivity to do, which is spend on our bills, then spend on ourselves, and then give God whatever we think we have left. He's saying, no, flip that. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Give him your best. And then it says that he will bless you. He will give you in abundance more than enough when you honor him. <laughs> oh, you know, when the first year of the church, I really didn't like talking about money because, you know, there's always somebody on late night TV with some oil they're selling. And, you know, I was just like, oh, I don't want to come across like that. So I don't, I don't want to talk about money. I don't want to talk about money. And then I just started seeing how people manage money. And I was like, oh, we need to talk about money because people don't know how to manage their money. And part of managing your money is having a standard, a way that you operate with money. And the way that we're called to operate with it is to give to God first and to, ha and to make sure that we have enough to give to him, not just to our bills, but giving to him, right? Um, and so we give to God first. Y'all like this suit? Y'all like this jacket? Thank you, thank you. It's fresh fresh. <clears throat> I don't know who made this. Um, I don't even know where I got it. Would you like the buttons? Buttons are kind of smooth, kind of fresh. Now, this is the first button. Y'all see the first button? Amen. <laughs> it's call and response portion. All right, this is the, this is the second button right here. Second button. Thank you. Now, wouldn't it be wild if I took this button and did this? And I took this button and did this? And I come up here like, yeah. And the problem is, what was made to go first isn't. And what was made to go second isn't. And this is what some of y'all's finances look like. Right? <laughs> Right? And so, and so this, is the, this is the idea, right? God, does God call us to honor him because he has nothing? Is God like, yo, yo, let me hold that, let me hold that. Is God calling us to honor him because he's needy? No. God calls us to honor him because every time we give to God, it is a step of faith and it cuts that hunger of greed in our life and it cuts down our impulsivity and God wants more for you than from you. Amen. He wants you to have a life of abundance and giving, but he wants you to realize where money comes from. To honor the Lord with your wealth, honestly, isn't just giving a tithe or one-tenth. If, if I were to have $10, and you, and you were to give me $1, but now, like, like if I were to hand you $10, and I said, give me one back, 
And I say, now, now that's mine now. That $9 is still mine, right? The, the, the imagery there is money is God's. Even if you give him 10%, it's still all his. <laughs> now, I know that there are people here saying, well, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of money. Well, I, I love this, uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and two says, uh, on the first day, Paul is talking here, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up <laughs> as he may prosper. So it, it's saying store up money as you prosper, as God has given you, as you have wealth, as you have finances, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Oh man, how awkward is that? Paul's, Paul is saying that in order for us to be able to have a spiritual community, we wanna be able to have money that we set aside for people that are in ministry full-time vocationally and also that we could do great things in the city. And he says, make sure that you are prioritizing some money and putting it to the side so that it doesn't get awkward when I show up because I don't wanna have to collect. <laughs> I don't wanna have to ask, is what he's saying. I don't want that. I don't want that to be our relationship where it's about money. Later, he'll talk about being a cheerful giver. I want, I'm praying that money will flow from you. Not that I would have to be collecting it from you. One more verse that I, I feel like we should share here because um, we could do a whole series on money, uh, but I think it's important that we share this one idea. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, 9 through 12, Paul deals with this issue because people in the church weren't setting aside money consistently. And they also realized that Paul was living off that money. In, in the Old Testament, this is the same idea that there were uh, the Levites, the people that were priests, that were only living off the land, only living out of the temple. And so people like Aaron would live off tithes and offerings given to the church. Paul was doing the same thing as a missionary. He was living his life off of the resources that came into the church. Well, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 12. He says, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is for oxen that God is, is it, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake because the plowman should plow, plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the rightful claim on you, do we not, do not we even more? Now, verse sounds crazy, it's talking about plows and oxen, and, but, but here's what he's saying. If you take an ox and he's working in this field and you've got a plow behind him, every now and then the ox will wanna eat from the field he's working in. The person who is threshing, meaning he's getting the grain, they may wanna get from that grain. The person who is plowing themselves, they will wanna get from that field. And so what he says in the very part there, he says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much 
if we reap material things from you, if others share the rightful claim on you, do not we even more. He says that people who lead in the church, people who are doing full-time vocational ministry, they should be able to reap materially because they've sown spiritually. They've blessed your life spiritually, so they should be able to reap from you. Now this is where it gets awkward because now I'm the one up here talking about money, right? And really what Paul is saying is, can I eat? Can I eat? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you didn't go into work saying, can I have my check? You said, give me my check, amen. And he's saying God has set up a whole system so that we could make sure this doesn't become an issue and I don't have to talk to you about it. And he's he's giving this analogy, he's saying, listen, there's this ox working, there is this farmer farming, you see them working. He says, why don't you give when you see them working? (laughs) I love the awkwardness in here. it's weird because like, you ever, you ever go to a uh, restaurant and you get a really good meal and the waitress has been amazing? I mean, she's been so good. She keeps asking you if you want water. She got you that extra ketchup. You wanted coffee, she didn't even put it on the bill. She gave you that wink like, I got you. She took care of you. She was an incredible waitress you would feel it was odd to not give her 10%. And yet, every week, some of us, you know, we come to church, I love this church. This is my home. These are my people. I get blessed by the message. Pastor, that one message you preach, bless my life. I'm like, thank you, thank you. They're like city groups. Yo, I'm city groups. I love being in the groups. I just, that's my family. We not like a family. We family, yo. You come and you serve. But some people find it, they, they, they think it is inconceivable that they would not give a tip to a waitress. But they walk by every week and they give nothing to God. And, and this, is, this is the truth. And this is the beauty of it. This is, this is all we're saying. God has given you enough to give. The scripture talked about in 2 Corinthians, give as you prosper, to give something, and it is more for you. It is more for you to be an abundant giver and very generous in your heart. And the reason why oftentimes, and people communicate this about this, they either over-communicate or under-communicate. They under-communicate because they don't want to come across like they're hungry and needy for money, and they over-communicate because we make blessing into money. So we talk about how God's going to bless you if you give, and then you're going to get money, and we make everything about money. But the truth is, is that none of the resources are ours, and that God has given us more than enough to give back to him. And this community is built on people working full-time vocationally. Now, I I, I hate to say this, I hate to say this, but I'm gonna just say it. Sometimes when people see what we do, they'll see Rasul, they'll see Josh, they'll see Rich, Omar, they'll be like, yo, they got pastors, man. Not just one pastor, that's Pastor James, that's Pastor Rasul, they got several pastors, and they're all full-time. But that don't mean they're getting paid by the church. Rasul raised all his money. Josh raised all his money. 
Omar has raised all his money. Rich has raised all his money. So they have gone outside the church to raise the money. And then when we do things like known campaign, amazing, but it stresses our budget. And the great thing is we have a generous church. Our church is generous, people give. But there are always one or two people who go year by year and they don't give. Now, I'm trying to be like Paul. I don't wanna have to have that conversation with you. I don't. I don't wanna have that conversation. And it's so weird, because I don't really look at the budget. Now, Josh has memorized about, but Josh, <laughs> Josh got the budget tattoo. He got it like around his wrist and he's just. My brother knows the budget. And he be telling me stuff. <laughs> Woo. And I mean, there are some people that are giving sacrificially. Some people are giving their best, and some people aren't giving at all. And I hug you, and I love you, and I don't bring it up, but I'm going to just tell you, just like Paul did. Can I eat? Can I, can I eat? In other words, um, we will never be a church that defines our relationship by money. Our relationship is defined by Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives. But I just want you to know that all this, the time we put in with worship and leadership and all the things that we try to do is not simply based upon the fact that we wanna have excellence and all that. I spend time pre, uh, in, in preparation for the sermon. We spend time in leadership development. We spend time doing things because of what Christ has done for us. We give, we serve because God has blessed us. We give because God has blessed us. And we presume that you know that God has blessed you. And so I wanna encourage you, I believe you have more than enough to give something. If you don't start at 10%, start somewhere, but become a sacrificial giver because you have a sacrificial savior. All right. The third point, and the one I'll, I'll leave on, not only do you become abundant with your treasure and you become abundant in your talent, but you become abundant with your time. You ever say to somebody, let's spend some time together. You ever say that? Are there people that you spend time with that doesn't even feel like time goes by? It's just, it's just, it could be 20, 30 minutes, two hours, it feels like time is just Man, it, it just flew by. You know there's some people that it's not like that? Time don't, time don't fly by with them. There's some people that it's not flying. You look, it's only been 15 minutes. It's like, I gotta leave in an hour. It's only been 15 minutes. Oh, I got time still. It's hard. It's hard. When you become a person that's generous and abundant, you learn how to really spend time. Really spend time. Spend time with people. Spend time with people that you feel like are taking from you. 
Jesus says this is actually one of the most clarifying ways that you can see the life of the believer. He puts it in context in Matthew 25. He puts it in the context of judgment. And Jesus identifies himself with the poor. And he says, I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me, you gave me drink rather. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you, we see you as stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did, we, did you sick did we, did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to them, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And Jesus Christ identifies himself with the least of these. The people that are draining, the people that offer you nothing back, can you imagine? Jesus says, I identify myself with a naked man that you gotta get close. I identify myself with a hungry person that they're so hungry you feed them. I identify myself with a prisoner that's got no one visiting them. And the way, the key to interpreting that text is not by the first three, it's the latter. When he says, I was in prison and you visited me. That is the way you understand that text. Far too often this text has been defined by being merciful for the sake of the transformation of these people, i.e. a person was naked, so you gave them clothes. The person was hungry, so you gave them food. The person was thirsty, so you gave them something to drink. But then here, he says, I was in prison and if this was just about transformation, he would say, and then you set me free. But what he says is you visited me. You came and you saw me. You sat with me, I, I didn't get out, but you just sat with me and you talked with me and you cared for me. And we should be the last people that should quarantine the draining. Quarantine the people who overtalk, the people who have quirks, the people who have got social ills, the people that are poor, the people that are hurting, the people that are hungry. The believer should be the last person to say, I don't want to relate to him. You see, the scripture says he made us rich. And one of the defining ways that we spend our time is when we spend our time with the broken, with the person that they, they, they say all the jokes at the wrong time. They, everyone's talking about them at work. Everyone has separated them on the job. Everyone's decided that that person is just too much. Not you. Don't let that be you. 
I was um, serving in a church years ago. The young man, he was in ministry with me. And he had sent a letter to a girl that was in high school. He had graduated college. She was 17, he didn't know. Everyone in the church found out. They started calling him a pedophile. They started saying how crazy he could have been. And the whole time he said, I didn't know she was 17. I sent her a letter, I thought she was cute. I, I didn't know, I thought she was 19 or 20. But the rumor got out. And you know how rumors work. The story became uncontrollable. And I will never forget, he didn't have a car, we were in Texas, he didn't have a car. And he used to always have to get a ride. And everyone in his house wouldn't give him a ride. We used to have to be at this Bible study at 6 a.m. every day. And everyone in the house he was living living in decided to leave at 5.45 so that they wouldn't even have to have the conversation with him because they didn't want to be associated with him. And I will never forget the day I was driving and I saw him walking on the side of the road. This is at like 5.50 in the morning. And I stopped. I said, hey man, what are you doing out here? He says, oh, well, I don't. I get up really early now because the last two weeks, none of my roommates, they don't drive me anymore. It was crazy, the other day I saw my roommate drive past me. He says, James, these are people I live with. And I said, man, I'm so sorry. I said, is this over the letter thing? He said, yeah. And so I asked him, I said, why did you do that? And he explained the situation to me. I said, have you explained this to your roommates? He said, yes. And I said, why are they doing that? He says, because they don't want to be associated with me, James. They don't want their reputation tarnished because of me. And so they drive past me. They don't talk to me. And I live with them. And these are Christians. These were men going to seminary. These were the cream of the crop. The best of leaders. And I don't get it. How can we study the gospel of Jesus Christ and not associate with the broken? Not associate with the hurting? Even if he was sexually perverse, why don't we associate with him? Why don't we think about the tax collector and the leper? How dare we see people at work see people in our family, see friends that people have stopped associating with because they're too much. Well, let me tell you, you have enough for them. You've got enough for them. You've got enough for the person that everyone has disregarded. You've got enough for the person that people are ignoring. You've got enough for the person that everyone's ostracizing, you've got enough because Jesus Christ didn't just deal with me. He died for me. He gave me it all when I had nothing to give him. How dare we look past people who have nothing to give us?
How dare us? We give it all. And oh yes, give yourself boundaries. Oh yes, be wise how you spend your time. Oh yes, don't give all your time to people that are needy. You've gotta fill yourself back up. I'm not talking about not having self-care. I'm talking about ignoring the hurting. Oh, that's not us. And that will not be our church. We will be people who spend time with the hurting and the broken. You've got more than enough. When you feel you have no patience, look to the treasure of Christ. When you feel you have no power, look to the treasure of Christ. When you feel you have no resources, look to the treasure of Christ. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches. When you look and you feel you don't have enough time, oh, look to the riches of Christ. When you feel you're not secure enough, look to the riches of Christ. For you have been made rich because of his poverty. You've got more than enough. More than enough to share. Jesus, we thank you. Oh, we've got more. More than enough, God. More than enough to share with our brother and our sister. More than enough to bless. More than enough to care. More than enough to give. Well, we've got more than enough. Let us become radically generous people, God. Let generosity pour over our hearts. Let us be filled, God. Let us be filled with the treasures of Christ. Because the Bible says where our treasure is, oh, that is where our heart will be also. Fill us, God, with the riches. Remind us of all that we have in abundance. In Christ's name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at BridgeChurchNYC or visit our website, BridgeChurchNYC.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.